Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Phonication, the podcast dedicated to ruining nature documentaries. I hope you're all doing amazing. Personally, I have been going a bit stir crazy. We finally got some gorgeous weather outside, and normally, like this time last year, I was spending four to five days a week at the beach, but now I'm spending it quarantined in my backyard getting devoured by mosquitoes, which I get that I have nothing to complain about. It's a lot worse for a lot of people realistically, but unfortunately that doesn't make anything feel better. Speaking of mosquitoes, by the way, eradicating them would likely not have any significant ecological impact. So for once, I gotta advocate for extinction rather than preservation. But I have not gathered you all here today, remotely on the internet, to talk about mosquitoes. I'm here to talk about one of my favorite animals, third favorite to be exact. God, I miss being in elementary school where it was normal to rank your favorite animals with your friends. Like, that was how we introduced ourselves, was your name and your favorite animal. (laughs) Anyways, back to the point again. Like the title says, bats. Bats are horrendously misunderstood and tend to have pretty awful reputations, reminiscent of the poor hyenas I spoke about in episode one. Bats are generally considered to be nuisances, disease carriers associated with witches and vampires and trickery, all sorts of negative imagery, especially because of the blood-sucking thing. Unless you're into witches and vampires, then it's probably not very negative to you. So over the course of this episode, I'm going to try to dispel that and explain to you why bats are fucking cool and why you're wrong if you don't agree with me about it. First of all, I admit saying bats is pretty vague. Bats are the second largest order of mammals, behind rodents, with about 1,400 species, making up one-fifth of all mammal species. They belong to the order Chiroptera, which sounds like a dinosaur name to me. So I looked it up, and they do not appear to have evolved from dinosaurs. I am super disappointed about that. But I was pleasantly surprised to find out that bat evolution has its own fandom, I guess filled with hot debates, and no one can agree on how bats came to evolve into the order that they are today, especially regarding how flight developed. All right, like I said, there are about 1,400 species of bat, and every single one of them is capable of flight. They're actually the only mammal capable of true flight. All other quote-unquote flying mammals are capable of things like gliding. The fastest bat is the Mexican free-tailed bat, with a top speed of 100 miles an hour. Also, bats have super, super thin wings, which allows them a lot more maneuverability than birds to do sick twists and tricks. But the ability to fly is about where their similarities end. They're a really, really diverse order. They range in size and sociability, diet, mating habits, environment, all sorts of variables. One species even has suction cups on its wings for some fucking reason. Another species of bat has the only lactating male found in any mammal species. Although, unfortunately, they have not yet been observed feeding their young. So, for example, with size, there are Megachiroptera, or just megabats for short, with wingspans of 5 foot 7 inches, which coincidentally is exactly my height. (laughs) Those bats are going to be the cuddly flying foxes, which unfortunately were severely impacted during the Australian fires earlier this year. 
On the other end of the spectrum, we have Microchiroptera, the smallest of which is the Kitty's hognose bat, which is one inch in length and six inches in wingspan. It doesn't have the cutest face, but it's a harmless little guy. It can be argued that this little bat is the smallest living mammal, depending on if you measure by dimensions rather than mass. So 1,400 species would mean that a lot of people and animals are getting their blood sucked up in the night. It would mean that, but it doesn't, because 70% of bat species eat bugs. Which is great because, first of all, fuck mosquitoes. But second of all, it reduces the need for insecticides. So they're built in pest control. Although some insects are starting to wise up against the bat, the ever creative and adaptive hawk moth has some species that can basically jam bat radar. <laughs> I should have said echolocation. So they jam bat radar by creating clicking noises with their genitals. <laughs> and like, I swear I'm not lying to you guys to make this podcast more sexual than it already is, but that's the fucking truth. Like, imagine you're just running away from some murderer who's going to eat you and your vagina just autonomously goes clickety-clack. <laughs> and then you just hear him go, oh, fuck, where'd she fucking go? <laughs> that sounds like the worst B-rate movie I could possibly imagine. <laughs> I would watch the shit out of it, though. All right, the majority of the remaining 30% feed on fruit, nectar, and sometimes fish. These bats are wonderful pollinators, especially if you like tequila. The long-nosed bats are the primary pollinator of agave, which is the source for tequila and blackouts. It's estimated that without bats to pollinate the agave, seed production would drop to one three thousandth of its current rate. That's 0.0003%, which would effectively kill tequila production. The palace's long-tongued bat actually has a super weird tongue that was finally illuminated by a grad student named Callie Harper and her team. What they discovered was that the tongue has little hair-looking things all over it, and then sinuses on the side of the tongue. The function of that is that when it gets filled up with blood, it'll send blood to the vessels inside the hairs, which will then stiffen and become erect, literally just like a human penis. And these little hairs make the tongue incredibly effective at mopping up nectar, kind of like a hummingbird. It also has the fastest metabolism recorded in any mammal. There are five species of bat that don't fall into those primary diets. Five out of 1,400. Two of them, the spectral bat and the ghost bat, owners of the coolest bat names, feed on other bats because of course they do. The remaining three are considered vampire bats which are the bats that everyone cares the most about, apparently. So first of all, to say that vampire bats suck blood is kind of a misnomer if we're going to get super technical. Realistically, what happens is they'll create a small wound, and their teeth are so sharp and slide into flesh so easily that animals generally don't even feel themselves being bitten. But yeah, like, they'll create a small wound, so blood starts coming up to the surface, and they'll lap it up like a kitten, drinking milk, just sweetly, cutely licking blood. <laughs> and if that picture horrifies you instead of soothes you, you're way too well-adjusted to be listening to this podcast. But also fear not, two of the three species generally go for birds. Only the common vampire bat goes for mammals, generally like cows or actually chicken anuses, rarely humans, but they're not big at all. I could see if like 
a flying fox was vampiric, that could be a bit scary. Also, if you don't live in Mexico, you're good. No vampire bats. If you do live there, well, see my previous points about them being small and painless. And cool side note, by the way, vampire bat saliva has an anticoagulant, which bat scientists aptly named Draculin. Anticoagulant is a fancy way of saying it stops the blood from clotting. It keeps it nice and liquid and drinkable. But researchers are looking into using enzymes in the Draculin to treat heart conditions and strokes. So fingers crossed that goes well. Add it to the expansive list of reasons to protect bats. That and tequila. Speaking of health benefits, yes, bats are capable of carrying rabies, but only equally as capable as both rats and primates. An estimated one to two whole people get rabies from bats every year. And it's 2020. It's not a death sentence anymore. There's even a vaccine for humans, not just your dogs. All right, the final differences in bat culture I wanna talk about are the mating rituals. Compared to a lot of animals, bats are kinky as fuck. And they are wild in all sorts of different ways, depending on the species. And I'm obviously only going to mention what we know about, considering bats generally do the deed at night, performing God knows what in their bat caves. Although there are a few species we get to observe more than others. One novel example being the Eastern red bat, who holds a very special place in my heart because I actually got to bear witness to their dirty laundry. But unfortunately, I'm nowhere near the only one. For example, in 2016, two bats were having sex beneath Jeremy Butler of the Baltimore Ravens during a game with the Detroit Lions. Fortunately, a referee carried the uh, copulating couple off of the field so they could continue safely. The reason why the Eastern red bat is seen much more than others is because of the way that they engage in mating. In midair, they'll literally start fucking mid-flight. And often the male gets so caught up in the moment that he forgets to keep flapping his wings, so they crash into the earth. And they don't miss a fucking beat. They keep going at it. <laughs> but not all bad sex happens midair. Most of it happens on the ground. But that just gives them more stability to do things like foreplay. Bats are one of the few species observed performing oral sex. I'm gonna mention two species versions of it. To start off, I'm gonna talk about the big old fruit bats, flying foxes. The males routinely perform cunnilingus on the females, just like human men should be doing to women. It goes both ways, guys. Don't be like DJ Khaled, shameful. So the flying fox is an amazing, empathetic lover, going down on his mate before and after sex. Scientists haven't been able to figure out if it's purely for pleasure or if it serves an alternate purpose like lubrication or disinfection or checking for chemical cues. But they have determined that eating a girl out makes the sex last longer, just like with humans. On the flip side of oral, I'm gonna talk about the short-nosed fruit bats of Southeast Asia. The females of the species perform fellatio on the males, but any women listening to this podcast could not perform the way that these bats can, unless you're like a contortionist or something because they'll hang upside down, and while the male is penetrating her from behind, she'll bend down, or I guess up, she'll bend up, towards their conjoined genitals and begin licking his shaft. And honestly, that just makes me feel so embarrassed about my own performing ability. I could never. And just as with flying foxes, the oral is meant to lengthen the amount of time that the sex happens. They spend twice as long having sex after head, up to a 100 second increase. It's not a lot for humans, but that's great for bats. Theories abound regarding the fellatio, of course. 
longer sex could possibly increase the chances of getting pregnant by aiding in sperm transfer or stimulate secretions from the females or prevent STDs. But regardless of why, everyone benefits from oral. Continuing the thread of bat variety, let's talk about picking mates. We've got every flavor of relationship in bats. We got monogamy, we got polyamory, we got harems, come as you are. All right, I'm sorry, I sound like a circus barker. <laughs> so bats living in temperate regions tend to migrate from a summer home to a cozy little winter cottage or winter cave. With these typically comes a mating season because the cozy cottage is actually a love shack. In many of these species, bats will create a massive swarm flying around and playing tag, doing flips and shit. It's possible the female might choose her mate based on their flying spectacles. So they'll fly around and after choosing a mate, they'll slink off to their caves and get right to it. Apparently, Austin, Texas has a 1.5 million bat population and every day from March to October, you can actually watch them swarm. And I am crazy disappointed that I didn't know about it earlier. I went to Austin once for like a week and it was right in the middle of that time frame. And I'm genuinely pissed at myself for not being able to witness that. Other species go a different route to woo mates. Female horseshoe bats visit individual roosts of males rather than participating in massive swarms. In another direction entirely, hammer-headed bats try to woo passing females by honking at them, which incidentally is the only acceptable way to catcall a woman. <laughs> Similarly, male sackwing bats waft pheromones at women and show off their mad flying skills. I think that the human equivalent would be some dude in a, uh, a velour suit wearing way too much cologne and flexing, which is to some people's taste. The little brown bat has another method too. Unfortunately, this one's a little less uh, tasteful. They have two phases of mating, an active phase and a passive phase. During the active phase, it's a giant swingers party. Males are sluts, females are sluts, everybody fucks everybody. Sometimes they'll get all confused and respond to the mating calls of other species. They're just horny little spazzes. But then we have the passive phase. After all the parties and orgies, the females quickly go into hibernation. The males take the opportunity to be absolute fucking creeps and they just hump anything that's sleeping. 35% of the time they fuck up and accidentally creep on a fellow male. It's super shitty behavior and actually at a high cost because every time they perform, they naturally burn calories, which they severely need for the long hibernation they'll enter as soon as they're done with the meeting they may end up depleting their fat reserves and won't be able to survive until spring. On the other end of the spectrum, some bats, like the super spooky spectral bat, are traditionalists and they practice monogamy. A whole happy family roosts together and unlike promiscuous species, for monogamous bats, both parents protect and feed the young. All right, you guys wanna get weird because I'm ready to start being weird now. Bats are one of the lucky mammals to have penis spikes. <laughs> I'm absolutely lying, by the way. They're probably very unlucky to have them. I'm not lying about the spikes. That's real, just to clarify. Well, okay, not all species of bats have penile spines, but many do. Now, for a lot of animals who have been so blessed, scientists have been able to determine why the spines are there, such as stimulating ovulation. But for bats, we don't have a definitive answer as to why. One hypothesis is that for the species who engage in their fun mid-flight, the backwards facing spines would allow the male to essentially lock into the female. Another is that the spines can act as a sort of bristle brush and scrape out the sperm of other males. Female stimulation is another idea. 
Yet another mystery, though, is what the fuck did evolution do to the eastern red bat and the hoary bat? The hoary bat? Hoary bat? H-O-A-R-Y? I'm not sure. I'm going to say hoary bat. But they have the biggest bat penis spikes. And by, like, a long shot. For most species, penile spine sizes increase at a rate consistent with the size of the bat. So, the bigger the bat, the bigger the spines. Makes all of the sense in the world. But then we have our fucking outliers. The hoary bat has spikes that are one centimeter long. It's a small number, I know, but it's a small bat. One centimeter spikes on a human penis probably wouldn't be quite as alarming. Well, okay, no. I would absolutely be horrified to see that. As I imagine, a man would be equally horrified to wake up one day and find a spiky dick below his waist. But to make the imagery worse, adjusting the hoary bat spines to a human scale would mean that men would have six inch spikes. And if that were normal, I would be completely abstinent for the entire rest of my life. But in my opinion, it doesn't destroy the magic of bats and how amazing they are. All right, so I don't know how to do a proper segue from penis spikes into this. So I'm just gonna awkwardly state that we're onto a new topic, World War II. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Bats were drafted into World War II and they were part of Project X-Ray. The US military had the really stupid idea to attach mini incendiary devices to a bunch of bats, and then they set them loose in Japan. Then when they're ready, they throw the switch, and with cruelty, all the bats go up in flames simultaneously, along with whatever building they're roosting in. Fortunately, the project was scrapped, but not due to wanting to spare the lives of thousands of bats, of course. Speaking of saving bat lives, though, I feel it's important to plug that more than 50% of bat species are in a severe decline or even endangered. For the flying foxes I mentioned earlier, one massive factor is, of course, the Australian brush fires, which is still reeling from the impact of those fires, by the way. I know 2020 has been long and shitty, but I highly recommend donating if you're able. They definitely still need it. Another contributor to the declining numbers is the bat plague. It's called white nose syndrome. It's a fungus that is still spreading rapidly. It started in New York, and it traveled as far as the northern border of Florida to Nova Scotia and Quebec and Ontario, New Brunswick, and it has a 90 to 100% mortality rate. It's already destroyed some entire species. It's fucking decimating their numbers. Canada has been making efforts to protect bats, but the US is falling behind, especially during COVID-19. Yet another bat decimator is, unfortunately, a method of clean energy, wind turbines, sometimes due to collision with the blades, but also from rapid depressurization of the air around the blades, which causes something similar to the bends for bats. It's called bleeding lungs, and it's even more distressing and horrible than it sounds, so don't look it up. I know that's a sour note to end the episode on, but I wanted to emphasize that bats are in serious need of protection, which they're less likely to get due to their less than cuddly appearance. So I know that there's many, many worthy causes out there, but if you're capable of helping, whether it's donations or signing petitions or raising awareness, please consider it. I personally will be donating all of my Patreon proceeds for the month to bat preservation. Anyways, that's all for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and brightened your perspective on the third best animal in the world, who I'm now actually considering promoting to second. Don't forget to check out Fonication on Instagram and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the podcast, please leave a review or consider becoming a patron, which... I guess will result in me donating more. Thanks again and see you next week. Bye. What's up with the time? Chocolate.